All right, we're Speaking on. Of Tuesday morning football talk. Uh, the Hoosiers picked up another nice acquisition yesterday, or commitment, I should say. Indeed, they did. Big kid. They're big offensive lineman. 6'5", 325. That was my playing weight in high school, actually. Um, this you is and I don't weigh 325 combined. And you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, I think that's the difference between IU and the perennial powerhouses, uh, one that's about three hours east of Indianapolis, whose name I won't mention on air. Um, the, when I, when I was in school, IU, their offensive line probably averaged like 240, and our starters were other powerhouses, second, maybe third string, mm-hmm. uh, to, to see kids coming in. I mean, first off to have a kid be six, five, three twenty five in high school. I, I don't even know how that's physically possible other than really good genes and, uh, you know, being blessed with a heck of a lot of talent, um, and obviously hard work and drive, but, uh, to see the Hoosiers with a top 20 recruiting class, I know the reality means nothing, but as a lifelong IU fan, dang, it's kind of refreshing. Well, you pick up an offensive lineman out of the state of Texas from a big high school in Texas that typically we're not getting kids out of. And then on the heels of that, this kid who was being recruited by the likes of Penn State, Ohio State, I think Notre Dame, um, Maybe not, but yeah, they don't really count. Regardless, that's it's pretty impressive. So kudos to Tom Allen and staff. Yeah, well, and, and not to mention the pipeline. He's opened up pulling all the kids out of Florida. Defensive backs, receivers, running backs. Uh, that's obviously a football talent breeding ground. So, What was their record last year? Hoosiers? Yeah, 6-2, uh, and two, I believe. It, six and two, huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, an abbreviated season because right. COVID. I had to think about that for a second. Uh, so that's a, yeah, that's something we can build on then. Yeah, two back to back winning seasons, back to back bowl games. Uh, unfortunately, we went zero and two in the bowl games. But but don't get me wrong, we are realists. Meaning, last year was awesome, but the real test is this year: can you back it up and do it again, or something similar? To that so that's that'll be the question. But at least on paper, right now, it's starting to add up. But we'll we'll see. Time will tell, as they say. And if nothing else, there's always getting back to tailgating. And so IU is in Bloomington, Indiana. Most people don't know it as Bloomington, Indiana, because on the map, if you pull up like Google Maps, it actually says God's country. So tailgating is, uh, especially on a nice crisp fall day, it's fantastic. We do have the tailgate tailgate game down quite well. Yeah, for sure. D1 for sure on that. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, we're a tailgate school with football problem. But Tom Allen is fixing that. Uh, we'd like to welcome Josh to the show. Welcome to the Industrious Podcaster. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, why don't you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I guess we just start with the football part. Yes, I'm 
currently living or based down in Alabama. So, yeah, I don't know much about Hoosiers football, but, you know, you talk about God's country and football country, that's college football country. Um, I'm, I'm a Georgia Tech grad, so maybe I've got some of the sports history that the Hoosiers have a little bit more. You know, uh, football isn't exactly a, a powerhouse there. Does Georgia Tech consider themselves more basketball than football or kind of somewhere in between? If you go back in history, they've got a lot of national championships. Okay. Like way back, you know, you're almost like wearing a leather helmet or something. Okay. Um, but then I would say in the more recent history, yeah, basketball. Yeah. You know, ACC and that sort of stuff. But Travis Best. Yeah. That's how old I am. Wow. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so um, – Josh Loop, you know, worked for Henkel down in down in Alabama, down in Birmingham. Um, so um, he will drop a y'all in this somewhere. If not, we'll yes, make sure you do before we're finished. I will. <laughs> I'm just upset you're not wearing the hound's tooth jacket with the, with the yeah. hat. Well, like I said, I'm I'm really a Georgia Tech guy. Wife's yeah. a, wife's a West Virginia grad, so I probably got more gear of that in the house. So, what college football team do you primarily follow? Honestly, if I had to choose between Alabama and Auburn, I follow more Auburn. Okay, it's an engineering school. I'm Eagle. an engineer. So if they were playing Georgia Tech, who would you be? Going? I'll pull for Tech. Okay, and that is an old rivalry. Back when in the '50s, Georgia Tech, Auburn was a big rivalry. You'd grease the skids in Auburn. That was one of the, uh, I guess, ploys or kind of gimmicks that people would do: grease the uh, train rails. So the, the train couldn't stop in Auburn and it would just slide on through. That was kind of one of the jokes or what have you. But they used to have a big rivalry way back then. I don't even know what the divisions were. But um, That's about the same time that IU was going to the Rose Bowl. Okay. Or the last time, <laughs> the most recent time, yeah. Until now, until yeah. this year. It's our okay. year. All right. It's our well, decade. Let's go. You guys heard that. <laughs> now, I'd probably pull for more for West Virginia because, I mean, basketball and football, they've They've been at the least, you know, in the game, in talks, at least in rankings and, and big games more recent. So, so you're, you're a Huggy Bear kind of guy. I am. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yep. He's a character. For sure. <laughs> Red nose and all. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Josh, you had a, you had an interesting um, uh, life growing up. You've, you've bounced around a, a variety of places. <laughs> Talk to, tell us a little bit about where all you've lived. Well, you say I got to drop a y'all. I was actually born in Chicago, um, but I only lived there like three months. You know, I was born in a blizzard, and then we moved down to Louisiana and then into the Caribbean. So um, my father was a Georgia Tech grad as well. He grew up overseas with his my grandfather who worked for Goodyear. Um, so they did a bunch of tours around the world, and uh, that took us into the Caribbean. So I was in Curacao, which is off the coast of Venezuela, St. Croix, one of the U.S. Virgin Islands, and Puerto Rico for 10 years. That doesn't um, suck. It doesn't. It's different when you start growing. You know, that's all you kind of know. Sure. Um, but, yeah, there it's you, you talk about a slower life or maybe down in Birmingham it's a little slow. It's really slow when you go down to, like, St. Croix. And, and Puerto Rico is a little crowded. Um, it's island time. Yes, definitely island time. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, grew up down there. Um, made my way to Atlanta. I guess a little bit of sports history there. In St. Croix, we lived there five, five and a half years. Um, I was a big swimmer then. So Makes sense. Played lots of sports, but I was on a 
you know, competitive swim team and we'd travel around to the different islands and do swimming. And actually on my team was Tim Duncan. So he was probably four. Basketball Tim Duncan. Basketball Tim Duncan. About four years older than me, I think. Somewhere in that range. Yeah. Um, you know, about four feet taller still. But um, he was a big swimmer on the team. He and his sister, Trisha Duncan, Olympic swimmer, or was qualifying for Olympics. I don't know if she actually made it. Um, but travel around, do all the different different tournaments and meets. Then Hurricane Hugo hit us in 80, I can't remember when that, 87 or 89, um, somewhere in that time frame. It took out our pool, real big hurricane down there. It eventually went up and hit Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. Um, so when it destroyed our pool, I quit swimming. Tim Duncan started playing basketball. You know, he was, I don't know, just going into high school or something. Wow. He had been a swimmer before that. Anyway. So that seems to have worked out. Yeah, it, it definitely <laughs> did. Yeah. He could probably fix that pool today if he hasn't already That's donated right. one to I've them. got a picture um, my grandma, you know, got for me or whatever, you know, on like a little piece of wood or whatever laminated on there. And it's, we're receiving like best swimmer. I'm like 12 and under. He's like 16 and under, you know, and it's you know, already then I'm three feet shorter than all the other guys around me. But it was, it's yeah, cool. That is cool. cool. What's that like? I mean, what, what's... Tim Duncan, was he like, he wasn't quite seven foot, but he was up there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was probably. What's that was, like? Like, hey, I'm just as fast as you, but I touched the wall first because I've got, a, like, seven feet in reach <laughs> yeah. advantage. Yeah, I mean, a lot of swimmers are tall. You know, I mean, so I was never going to go far with it or anything. But um, And I didn't necessarily swim against him, but we were on the same Dolphins swim team. So I seem to tell that to my kids uh, when they talk of their sports aspirations. I'm like, listen, it doesn't matter what sport you play all the good ones are tall. So just um, <laughs> keep studying. That's right. <laughs> or you got to be lightning fast. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I never thought too much about height with swimmers, but Phelps is pretty tall too, yep. I believe. And he also has ginormous feet. Yeah. Um, the wingspan, the, the pull. I mean, yeah. you know, they're... Wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say he has ginormous feet? Yeah, they talked about his... I mean, now Why are like, you staring at his feet? I'm not staring... <laughs> I am not why, staring why at his do you feet. Have, like, they're like do flippers. you have a man crush on Phelps' feet? <laughs> sure, apparently. Uh, on record, we got it on tape. That's right. Mark it. Yeah. And something about his torso too, right? It's like extra long or something. Uh, I don't remember that part, but it wouldn't <laughs> shock me. But like he has like, I don't know what they are, but like size 17 feet. Yeah. Uh, they're just massive. And so they were talking about how that extra, he's got flippers. So you can anyway. start calling him <clears throat> Shaquille Phelps? Yeah. Or just Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I was down in the Caribbean for those 10 years, moved into Atlanta, and that was with my dad taking a job with a company called Novamax, okay. um, which is a, a company eventually that was acquired by Henkel um, uh, back in 93, I think, when we moved back to Atlanta, and then uh, high school and college there. So The ATL, the Dirty Dirty. Yep. Yeah, the dirty bird, right? You like getting back? Do you get back there very often? Yeah, we were there three weeks ago, just visiting family. So my brother and sister and parents are still there, North North Atlanta. Yeah, great. I like to refer to it as Hotlanta myself. I'm not interested in moving there, but it's it's nice to visit. (laughs) Yeah, spend a lot of time sitting in the car waiting. Yes, you do. Waiting. So what point, when you, so you graduated from Georgia Tech in what year? 2001. A one, and that, so then what happened? So I took a job with a company called Schlumberger, okay. um, oil field services work. Yeah. Um, they're a big recruiter in a lot of the engineering schools. Um, went out to Arkansas and 
did a lot of work, as I call it, a young man's job, going out to oil wells and you're working 10 days on, five days off. I mean, I worked a stint where I was literally working for 65 hours straight. Like you just kept going well to well, couldn't drive anymore. You just sit in the sleeper cab of a truck. Um, did that for, I guess, four or five years. So Arkansas and then West Virginia. Um, actually did some training in Indonesia. That was one thing that was really cool about Schlumberger. So they have training centers all over the world. And as a new engineer, they went and spent four months in Indonesia learning mm. kind of the, the business or the, the job. Um, but then after Schlumberger, I took a job with Henkel and then moved to Alabama. I've been there since. <clears throat> what was your first position with Henkel? First position was kind of like a technical service rep. So um, I was hired by um, one of my first boss, Paul Cook, under Henkel. Yep. Um, pulled me into Atlanta, <clears throat> and he he had a great setup, a great team where he used a kind of a he had a, a base of strong sales engineers and sales folks with, and then people that were more, let's call it service oriented. And, and in that realm, um, I came in kind of into the service group to learn the, the, the market, learn the chemistries, learn the technology and applications with, with the goal and plan to move into the sales side of it. Um, but Came in, worked in the automotive industry is really what it was, and that's where we focused. And I was servicing customers in the Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi area. And then that's changed over the years, and as the roles grew or territories grew. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know the amount of years. Let's say six to eight years with automotive. Worked into aerospace. So the territory grew a lot more, but focused on aerospace. And I guess in the automotive side of it, it was adhesives, it was surface treatment, it was lubricants. And then when you worked into the aerospace world, a little little bit more focus on adhesives and epoxies and okay. different different sales cycle, different qualifications. It was a different world, um, but good, but yeah. good. Interesting. Now experience. the automotive industry has gotten quite big in that huge that region, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. Big for transplants. Okay. So just like here in Indiana, you've got a lot as well, where you got Toyota and uh, Subaru and and things like that, which has been great for the state. You know, as you keep moving south, you have less of the GMs and Fords. You've got Mercedes, was who was first launched there in Alabama, kind of started the southern automotive plants. Okay. Um, and then you got Honda, and this is all in Alabama itself. And then the Koreans came in down in Montgomery and um, LaGrange, okay. just across the border into Georgia with Hyundai and Kia. Um, you got more Toyota down in Tupelo, Mississippi, and then Nissan up in Nashville. And then right now there's a new um, uh, Mazda. Shoot. It's, it's up in Huntsville, a new plant going on. I think it's a it's a kind of a joint venture like the Subaru plant up here, okay. where Subaru and Toyota are sharing the, the, the position, the, the OEM, the facility. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, in it, but I want to say it's Mazda and like Toyota um, down in well, Huntsville. Yeah, yeah, BMW over in South Carolina. Ah, sure, of course. It's, yeah. I think yep. Volkswagen actually has a facility Chattanooga. in Chattanooga. Yeah, I'm not sure what they do there, but it's a pretty large building. Yep. There was a Ford plant and a GM plant in Atlanta, but those closed down, let's say, early 
2000s, mid 2000s, and it's pretty much all transplants down there now. Yeah. So when I guess give our viewers a, a even more in depth look at when you go into one of those plants, let's say, I mean, you mentioned the adhesives, surface treatments, and whatnot. Give us a little bit more specific in terms of what products um, for what applications that you guys would sell and service in those areas. Sure. Um, so in in the Henkel portfolio world, you got like we said, adhesive, surface treatments, and let's I'm making it more simple, but adhesive, surface treatments, and slave metalworking fluids. Some product lines are going to require a lot more service or effort or um, watching over and technical help, um, technical guidance. Um, the adhesives, set it up and you pretty much go. And it's, you know, do your maintenance and it's going to run. It's going to still glue this to this. As long as you're presenting that same piece in there, there's no issues. Um, maybe maintenance, if you don't maintain things, you have issues. So there's lots of adhesive applications at some of these OEMs, but the biggest focus was probably the, the surface treatment lines. So you'd have a, a, a little zinc phosphate bonderite line before that vehicle is e-coded. Um, and you're in there maintaining, helping to counsel and, and guide the plants and the people that are responsible for the line as a supplier. So um, in, in a grade school manner, like fifth grade language for our listeners who have no industry background, who just for some reason love listening to our voices uh-huh. and telling uh, OEM manufacturing industrial like stories. Can you explain when you said zinc phosphate in a very simple terms, what does that mean? And then e-coding, what is e-coding? Sure. So essentially you have a base metal and you need to coat it to give it corrosion protection and let's say adhesion properties for that paint to stick to it. Um, if you don't, you're going to introduce rust and, and corrosion or paint's going to pick peel off. And we've all seen the cars from the 80s or whatever with the hoods and the roof that you see this gray undercoat. And you and the nice thing about some of those is you can actually see that it's a matte gray color. That's probably the phosphate that you're seeing or a little bit of the e-coat maybe where the, the top layer of paint's peeled off. But anyway, you take a body of a car and it's all these stamped pieces of metal, welded pieces of metal that have oils on them and greasy, and you can't paint on that. The paint's going to come right off. And if you don't protect it, you're going to have corrosion rust issues, and the car up north is going to rust even quicker. Um, So you send it through a long system of stages, and it's cleaning, rinsing, conditioning, zinc phosphating, rinsing again, and then it comes out and it goes into what's an e-coat, which is an electric electrostatic process of flinging the paint and kind of a, a charge, you know, uh, you know, positive and negative charge um, situation going on where you get that paint to stick to the metal. And that's kind of the base layer of paint. And then it goes through a paint boost for wet paint applications where you're putting the color on. Um, and zinc phosphate is one of the, it's, it's an older technology, but it's still one of the, um, I guess has the highest, quality levels or spec levels of meeting salt spray requirements and corrosion resistance. Um, so it's still heavily used in automotive. There's some changes to the newer technologies, but um, zinc phosphate is still a big one out there. Um, yeah. We talked about with your 
colleague Joel Bondi in another episode, um, some of the next generation products mm-hmm. are coming out since Wazinc works really well, maybe not the greatest uh, environmentally speaking or mm-hmm. maintenance wise. Uh, so some of the newer stuff that's coming out to work, hopefully, or try to be as close as as possible to a zinc in terms of performance, but a lot more environmentally friendly and perhaps easier to maintain, less expensive to maintain, things of that nature. Yep. Yep. Do you see a lot in the a lot of folks in the automotive industry really starting to go down that path? Yeah. When I kind of moved out on automotive into aerospace, I had a handful of customers that were going to the newer technology, the next gen of um, what we had. Tectalis was the name we had before, yep. or the zirconiums, the, the nanotechnologies. Um, so yes. Um, and also the cars, you start seeing a lot more aluminum. So you're not going to use a zinc phosphate coating on aluminum. The substrate is a big deal there. You're going to use that more on a steel substrate. Um, and aluminum, you use uh, different zirconium technologies and things like that. And um, I mean, a Tesla is you know, the new Fords, the new F-150s, I mean, it's pretty much all aluminum. Yeah. So yeah. makes it lighter, get better fuel economy, et cetera. So we, we know that the, the big auto manufacturers are obviously uh, early adopters of some of this, these technologies, mm-hmm. um, not only in the materials they're using in the, the design and build of the automobiles, but then obviously the supporting chemistry as part of that process. On the general industrial side, where do you see technology fitting today? Are there any drivers on, and more of the on the GI? That's a that's a pretty broad sort of umbrella mm-hmm. term when we say general industrial. Uh, what what industries within that or markets within that do you see uh, people driving the newer technologies? Really, all of them. Um, so, backing up to give a little picture of what GI is, you know, Henkel kind of breaks down our surface treatment world into automotive, aerospace, and then the everything else bucket of GI. So general industry, you've got appliance, you've got agriculture, you've got, uh, you know, sport utility, or I guess not sport utility, but, you know, like a four-wheeler side-by-side. Playground equipment. I mean, this this metal piece here has some sort of a coating on it, right? And this falls into that bucket. so some of the same, uh, I guess, application systems take place. You know, you're cleaning, you're coating. Um, iron phosphate is a, let's say, a lower quality, not high as um, salt spray capabilities as zinc phosphate, and that's maybe what was used more in the past. And now you're going into the, the nanotechnologies, which are going to, again, have better water savings, you know, less environmental footprint and all those sort of stuff. But it's really everywhere. You see it in all the industries. Um, it takes a little work, sometimes capital investment. But most of the newer lines, if you're putting in a new line, you're going to put in something that, that can run the, the newer technology. You don't need to iron phosphate. They typically go away from it and start with the new stuff. So You still see zinc on a few, a few places where they need that. And then aerospace, you know, chrome is where aerospace is used a lot. And that's still out there. And as Europe kind of closes things down on the Chrome front, it's moving more and more over here. And there's technologies, um, non-Chrome alternatives. But again, it's they're not always ha- as capable. And a lot of times newer technologies can require a little bit more, um, oh, what would be the word? I guess. Finesse. Finesse, control, <laughs> um, 
where you take an old chrome bath, you could set that line up and not check it for weeks and still run your parts and it's probably fine. You know, the newer technologies, you gotta gotta maintain those things a little bit tighter. Yeah. So your your ranges, your pH tolerances, etc. <clears throat> 10, 12 years ago when we kind of came into the fold and 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 partnered up with Hankel on the distribution front. Um, obviously, we're, we're not calling on the Ford plant, the Toyota plant, the Honda plant, et cetera. Um, talk a little bit about, in particular with your with your new role, the kind of the role that you see distribution playing and, and, and maybe not so much over the last five, 10 years, but maybe for the next five to 10 years, kind of what's that, what's that vision? Sure. Um, I think Henkel uses distribution it, in our various portfolio offerings. Um, and it's never been used very heavily in what we call the bondrite area, the surface treatment area. So that is where our relationship has really been taking place. Um, and honestly, honestly, it's a, it's an open market. There is, there's not a lot of distribution in, in that we come across in that market. It's a lot of direct selling, um, applications. So there's, there's opportunity. Um, in my new role as kind of channel manager, I guess I've been in the role about a year now, um, six months, a little longer than that. I guess COVID makes everything kind of right. s- <laughs> squirrely. Um, uh, trying to trying to lead more focus um, and uh, dedicate people to our growth and our partnerships with with companies like Assessa. Um, we're not looking for drum kickers. So a lot of the distribution that I would say Henkel is used in, in some of our other portfolio offerings is people out there taking POs and saying thank you and kicking a drum. Um, this industry needs more than a drum kicker. It's not, hey, Mr. Customer, I need your order. Thank you. How many do you want? Okay, bye. Um, we need somebody who's technically capable, who's out there consulting, helping the customer, making, helping them make choices, servicing, checking things. You all, you have an issue. Let's look at that. Oh, well, when was the last time you dumped your bath? Um, you know, oh, well, yeah, this is probably the wrong coding you're trying to use. We've got some newer technology introducing all these things. And um, so we're partnering with Assessa for that reason. And this is something we're trying to grow and um, expand on. And We're looking for more feet in the field to grow, to to have more sales. And there's a specific customer base that we're trying to hit with those. Um, Henkel's still doing the direct selling as well, but working in tandem with a company like Assessa. And we're we're excited about it as well. Yeah, certainly. Um, You talked about what we consider a bond right champion. How would you define what that is? Um, I guess it's a, it's, it's an internal term that we've used as a, as a, a distributor like a CESA who's focused on Bondrite. So not somebody who has a line card that's got everything from gloves and toothpicks on it to, to mops and brooms, but is focused. And the Bondrite line is one of the focus, um, technologies that you're covering. So you're a champion of our Bondrite product line, surface treatment. That person, um, that that distributor, Assessa is focused on it. And then the salespeople, technical people that are, that are out there selling it, 
they know it, they're getting trained in it, they understand it, and they can be an asset and a resource to your customer. And that term Bondarite has changed pretty substantially over the last couple of years in, in terms of a rebranding effort by Hinkle. What What is Bondarite today, generally speaking? So Hinkle is a company of many um, acquisitions over the years. So <laughs> Hinkle's bought a lot of different companies. You've got different brand names, the Moltans, Turcos, uh, Aladine, and Bondrite is one of them in there. But, you know, years past, we've kind of consolidated down to the Bondrite, Loctite, Terrason, um, key brand names. So Bondrite does encompass a couple different um, <clears throat> technologies, not just surface treatment or cleaners. Their lubes fall under that. Um, some of the chrome products and things like that. But it's mainly surface treatment. So it's like we said earlier, that vehicle is going through that line and you're cleaning, coating, preparing it for a paint application, preparing it for the next step in the process. And it's those products that kind of meet that, whether it could be stamping lubes or something like that. Um, could be an RP. Maybe it's something that's not painted, but you just you clean it. Um, and prepare it and put a rust preventative on it, and that's its final stage before it goes somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So the Bondrite line kind of encompasses all of that. Go ahead. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just, just processing, that's all. I, I, the coffee, I've, I've ingested the coffee, it just hasn't made it into the veins and in the bloodstream yet. <laughs> um, I, I know we certainly look forward to continuing to our partnership with you guys um, when we, we most of the vendors that we work with it, we view it as a partnership and I think uh, Hankel is another good example of that it's not just you selling us stuff and we turn around and selling it uh, you know to the to the end user but there's a true partnership there so company ABC has an issue you know it's not just on us to try to figure it out we can we oftentimes team up work back and forth and then present you know co-present to the customer um, so we, we appreciate your guys' support and uh, and look forward to uh, several more years to come of, of continued growth and, and success. Yeah, we have the same goal in mind, right? We want to maintain those current customers and grow and grab new ones. So new applications, new leads, and things like that. The way we're set up and my team is is there to support, whether it's coming into the field and helping out there or always on the phone, you know, technically, presentations, um, co-conference calls with the customer. Yeah, we want to support and, and, and make sure we're, we're winning those closes and gaining new business. So, yeah, Exactly. What questions do you have for us? Um, wow, okay. I didn't prepare as much in that direction. <laughs> um, um, I guess I'm, I'm curious, where do you see it going? Like, okay, so we're, we're, we're taking on the bond right line. You know, we, you've been doing it for a while. Do you see other avenues or, or how do you see the growth in the current market you're in? Um, you know, you kind of work in this Midwest area right now, obviously you've got, got some out West location as well. And I mean, where do you see the future? Like you said, the next five years, what would you like to see? Uh, one word domination. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Just like the Colts, right? Well, <laughs> why not? That'd be fine. Why not? I mean, Hoosier's going to do Rose Bowl. Colts going to go to Super Bowl. Bond right. I mean, it's going to be such a 
massive success that even the, the general consumer and homeowner will know that name. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, for us, we look at this as uh, to say we're hitting a reset button is probably way too strong of a word, but in a way we are shifting our model on the chemical side a little bit uh, somewhat in, in response to, or maybe as a, as a, as a corollary to this program to partner up with Hinkle uh, so that we can, we know that if we can be successful, you all will be successful and vice versa um, because we want to be able to, as a team, tell a compelling story about how successful this model's been. Uh, so we're really excited to bring uh, a, a model that we've shifted to on our coding side over to the chemical side in terms of how we go to market, uh, not necessarily just serving our existing customer base to focus on rationing up even further our service and, and therefore being more successful on a retention standpoint, but going out and growing market share and organically growing new business. So, uh, you know, we, you, you mentioned COVID a little bit ago and I, I sometimes, you know, the other day I was writing an email and I referred to it as COVID-19 and in my mind, I thought 19, like 2019 was a decade ago. Like why it just seems it, it's so, so far gone or far gone in my mind of like when that really occurred to where we were at today, because while it's still in the news, obviously, and it's still part of our, our life, things have shifted so quickly. And now we're like, we're, we're in that, that process of, from a, a business standpoint saying, okay, it's green light go. Let's, let's get moving. Uh, and as we see the manufacturing space, our customers, you know, our shared prospects beginning to open their doors back up. Some are, some are wide open, some are still locked and everything in between. Uh, it's, it's getting out there and, 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 hitting the pavement and, and starting to get the ball rolling. Yeah. We've seen a lot of it lately. Um, I think one thing out of the, the COVID turn, I mean, this doesn't even have to do with COVID, but we've seen supply chain issues, right, that have kind of stalled some of that economic start or caused issues in it. Um, Henkel's done a real well, real good job. I would, I guess I would say our purchasing team or those organizing some of the raws that have fed in that we've been really good in, in maintaining that supply point. Um, the Texas freeze, it's just amazing how much impact that's had on it. Um, we mentioned automotive earlier and the microchips and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I mean, Hyundai was down a week about a month ago. I know some Ford plants. You know, it's amazing they've all been shut down. But definitely we're feeling a little bit of the economic winds pu pushing again. Yeah. Procurement yeah. and purchasing folks are uh, really earning their checks right now and have been because they've been through put through the ringer between price increases and just – not having the supply and probably getting yelled at from both ends. It, yeah, that's not been a good six months. Economically, there's been a, a massive rebound, but for all the reasons you just mentioned, going out and trying to focus on growth has been difficult because of the distraction of just trying to make sure I've got inventory yeah. to sell to my existing base. And then in some cases, depending on the product and the, and the segment, saying, hey, I know you want to give me a PO, Mr. or Mrs. new customer, but I can't accept it yet because I don't have enough inventory to supply my existing customers and you. So you work so hard, you spend so much time, money, energy, and bringing on new business to then say, pause for a moment, I can't take your order. That's a really difficult pill to swallow and, and something we've all been faced with uh, here these last few months. So uh, I, I think we're seeing on our end, to say we're seeing some easing up, um, I, I wish that were 
entirely true. Maybe we're seeing a little bit of leveling off, a little bit of plateauing in, in the raw materials market. Uh, but boy, it's it's not normalized yet. Uh, agreed, agreed. And the industry that we're talking about, it's it's not a not to open up a new, new can of worms, but it's not a uh, a quick changeover. You know, an adhesive. You can. I wanted to glue this to the table, and you just swap adhesives, and you're gluing the new one. Maybe clean the line, and you're done. It's not that you can do it in a end of an evening shift or something. A pretreatment line, a surface treatment, takes a little bit longer. So some of the the impact in the the supply chain or the people supply chain, right? People can't, you know, there's a whole bunch of politics going on with it, but not enough people wanting to work um, or people not being able to find workers. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Um, makes it harder. So they don't always have that extra time to, I don't have the third shift going right now. I, I can't change over right now. So some of that plateauing is there. Hopefully we keep filling up the, 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 uh, the workforce and, and some of these new growth opportunities and we can get back on that train. Agreed. Yeah, certainly. I second that. Any other questions for us? Um, I'm curious, totally sidetracking a little bit, but so, you know, obviously your, your, your business, you know, we have the, the chemical side and the Bondrite partnership, you know, and a lot of your other side of the business is in, let's say a different substrate base with wood, right? How do you guys see things there? I'm just, I'm just curious. I didn't get to ask it. Some of our previous conversations, you know, obviously we've seen wood prices skyrocket. Yeah. It's, it's very similar. So the, the coating side or the paint side, whether it's going for wood, like it's tabletop or even the metal widget. Um, it's also been impacted by uh, issues with supply uh, price increases. The, I guess, I don't say the, the positive side, but you know, a, a six to eight percent price increase is nothing in comparison to uh, lumber that went up a hundred percent in some cases, and, and now it's back down forty percent. Still a net up fifty, maybe. Um, and everything else has gone up so much more that you know we have to pass it on like everybody else. But at the same time, you're not getting the pushback because it's hitting everyone in mm-hmm. uh, many in many cases to a much greater degree. So. Uh, we've, from a supply standpoint, we've, we've done pretty well. We've managed it fairly well. We've gotten lucky a little bit. Um, knock on wood again. Um, it's, we've not been caught out too many times. Um, and so we've been doing our best to manage that and stay ahead of the game to the extent that we can. Yeah. Good. Pretty much every aspect of the supply chain has been impacted. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the coatings we sell are solvent-based. So when you, you mentioned the, the winter freeze in Texas and the – the chemical industry that's feeding a lot of the, the, the solvents that are base raw materials in the coatings, as well as resins. Uh, most recently, it's been packaging steel containers. Um, it's not just a function of the costs going up, uh, which are directly and indirectly related to supply allocation. So it's just, it's been a big game of, of juggling when, when can we, how much can we get in? When can we get it in? And how long will that last us? And, and then just kind of trying to, um, in between juggling and, and I would say like whack-a-mole, like which, which sure. one is popping up that we need to hit and, and take care of. So yeah, uh, knowing your customers, knowing which ones, you know, really need it and understanding, okay, yeah, you, you've got a little bit of supply left. I'm, I'm the whack-a-mole game. I'm going to feed these two drums here. I got one coming for you next. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, it's been an interesting few months. That's for sure. I mean, if you compare, April, May, June of this year to April, May, June of 2020, you couldn't find 
more opposite. Oh, yeah. You know, April, May, June, 2020, you're just sort of sitting around trying to figure out what, what is normal. I mean, what is, what is anything? And now it's like, you're just, you're trying to keep up. Mm-hmm. You're like the dog in uh national lampoons vacation that got tied to the bumper, just trying to keep up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Not sure if you're going to make the it. last few first few miles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Poor little puppy. <laughs> All right. Well, Josh, thanks for visiting with us today. Thanks for the meetings yesterday. Uh, we look forward to the rest of this year and definitely the next to come. We look forward to it as well. I appreciate the time and um, the hospitality. Well, you're welcome. Um, folks, don't forget, subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit that notification bell, Bing bong. and be industrious. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>